0: everyone. Welcome to a bit of a new experiment for me. This is Books at Bedtime, an ASMR bedtime story podcast kind of deal. I'm Alex, and I'm going to be reading you some stories and pieces from some of my favorite pieces of literature, some of my favorite books. So I wanted to begin with something that suited this sort of snowy, cold weekend that we've been having. And I was going through my house, and I happened to look at a bookshelf down in my dining room. It's a place where I have a lot of classic books. And I found a copy of the pillow book of, say, Shonagon. And I've had this book for probably about 12 years. It's one of my favorites, even though I haven't ever read it all the way through one go. I uh, I keep it, and I just love it. It has a beautiful cover, um, which is a detail from a scroll in the Goto Museum in Tokyo. And it's a, a Penguin Classics edition, so... The back is all black and it's stamped with a little thing that says USA $5.95. I think nowadays a book like this would probably cost like $14. And I actually just flipped this open to the first page and I found that I bought this book in Jacksonville, Florida, which is my hometown. Um, or it's, it's, my I sort of share hometowns between Jacksonville and St. Augustine, but I bought it at the Chamblin Book Mine, which is my favorite used bookstore in Jacksonville, which is owned by uh, the family of a friend of mine, a girl I went to high school with, who was a beautiful ballerina. So this book, the pillow book, was translated by Ivan Morris and the back Description I'm going to read to you so you get a sense of what it is. Sei Shonagon was a court lady in 10th century Japan at the height of the Heian culture. In her pillow book, she notes down all the things that attract, displease, or interest her in daily life. She was an enthusiast for good manners and good taste, whether this applied to dress, servants, or the correct behavior of lovers. This is by far our most detailed source of factual material on the life of the time and is also a work of great literary beauty, full of lively humor and subtle impressions of the world she lived in. So I grabbed this book to read to you guys and I just opened it up to a random page in the middle because it is in these sort of little excerpt sections that are numbered. And my copy of the book just happened to fall open to a really perfect section, which is section 114, It is Delightful When There Has Been a Thin Fall of Snow. So I'm going to read you um, just a couple sections here. It is delightful when there has been a thin fall of snow or again when it has piled up very high, and in the evening we sit round a brazier at the edge of the veranda with a few congenial friends, chatting till darkness falls. There is no need for the lamp, since the snow itself reflects a clear light. Raking the ashes in the brazier with a pair of fire tongs, we discuss all sorts of moving and amusing things. It already seems to be quite late at night when we hear the sound of footsteps. We all look up, wondering who it may be. A man is approaching, the type of man that often visits us unannounced on such occasions. "'I was wondering how you ladies were enjoying today's snow,' he says. "'I had intended to come and see you earlier, but I was held up all day in some other place.' Uh Ah, says one of us and quotes the poem about the man who came today. Then, with a great deal of laughter, we begin talking about what has happened since the morning, and about all sorts of other things. The visitor has been offered a round cushion, but he prefers to sit on the wooden veranda with one leg hanging over the edge. The conversation goes on until the bell announces that dawn has come. The ladies sitting behind the blinds and the man in front feel that they still have many things to tell each other, but he has to be off before daylight. As he gets ready to leave, he charmingly recites, Snow lay upon such and such hills. Then he is gone. If he had not been there, we should certainly not have stayed up all night like this. It was he who made the occasion so delightful. And now we start discussing what an elegant man he is. 115. One Evening During the Reign of Emperor Murakami. One evening during the reign of Emperor Murakami, when it has been snowing very heavily and the moon was shining brightly, His Majesty ordered. "'that some snow be heaped onto a platter. "'Then a branch of plum blossom was stuck into it, "'and the emperor told someone to hand the platter "'to Haya, the Lady Chamberlain. "'Let us have a poem about this,' he said to her. "'What will you give us?' "'The moon, the snow, the flowers,' she replied, "'much to his majesty's delight.' To have composed a special poem for the occasion, he said, would have been the ordinary thing to do, but to find a line that fits the moment so beautifully, that is really hard. On another day, when Lady Haya was accompanying Emperor Murakami, His Majesty stopped for a moment in the senior courtier's chamber, which was empty at the time and noticing that some smoke was coming out of the square brazier, said, What can that be? Go and have a look. Lady Haya went and examined the brazier and then returned with this delightful poem, which she recited to the emperor. What do I see in the open sea, or a flame in the open fire? It must be a frying frog I see, or a woman diver rowing home. In fact, a frog had jumped into the fire and was burning away. (laughs) One sixteen. When I first went into waiting. When I first went into waiting at Her Majesty's Court, so many different things embarrassed me that I could not even reckon them up, and I was always on the verge of tears. As a result, I tried to avoid appearing before the Empress except at night, and even then, I stayed hidden behind a three-foot curtain of state. On one occasion, Her Majesty brought out some pictures and showed them to me, but I was so ill at ease that I could hardly stretch out my hand to take them. She pointed to one picture after another, explaining what each represented. Since the lamp had been put on a low tray stand, one could view the pictures even better than in the daytime, and every hair of my head was clearly visible. I managed to control my embarrassment and had a proper look. It was a very cold time of the year, and when Her Majesty gave me the paintings, I could hardly see her hands, but, from what I made out, they were of a light pink hue that I found extraordinarily attractive. I gazed at the Empress with amazement, simple as I was and unaccustomed to such wonderful sights. I did not understand how a being like this could possibly exist in our world. At dawn, I was about to hurry back to my room when Her Majesty said, Even the god of Kazuraki would stay a little longer. So I sat down again, but I leaned forward sideways in such a way that Her Majesty could not see me directly and kept the lattice shut. One of the ladies who came into the room noticed this and said that it should be open. A servant heard her and started toward it, but Her Majesty said, Wait, leave the lattice as it is. The two women went out, laughing to each other. Her Majesty then asked me various questions and finally said, I am sure you want to return to your room, so off you go. But be sure to come again this evening, and early too. As soon as I had crept out of Her Majesty's presence, and was back in my room. I threw open all the lattices and looked out at the magnificent snow. During the day, I received several notes from Her Majesty, telling me to come while it was still light. The sky is clouded with snow, she wrote, and no one will be able to see you clearly. Noticing my hesitation, the lady in charge of my room urged me, saying, I don't know how you can stay shut up like this all day long. Her Majesty has granted you the extraordinary good fortune of being admitted to her presence, and she must certainly have her reasons. To be unresponsive to another person's kindness is a most hateful way to behave. This was enough to make me hurry back to the Empress, but I was overcome with embarrassment, and it was not easy for me. On my way I was delighted to see the snow beautifully piled on top of the fire huts. When I entered Her Majesty's room, I noticed that the usual square brazier was full to the brim with burning charcoal, and that no one was sitting next to it. The Empress herself was seated in front of the round brazier made of shen wood, and decorated with pear-skin lacquer. She was surrounded by a group of high-ranking ladies who were in constant attendance upon her. In the next part of the room, a tightly packed row of ladies-in-waiting sat in front of a long rectangular brazier, with their Chinese jackets worn in such a way that they trailed on the floor, observing how experienced they were in their duties and how easily they carried them out. I could not help feeling envious." There was not a trace of awkwardness in any of their movements as they got up to deliver notes to Her Majesty from the outside, and sat down again by the brazier, talking and laughing to each other. When would I ever be able to manage that, I wondered nervously. Still further in the back of the room sat a small group of ladies who were looking at pictures together. After a while, I heard the voices of outrunners loudly ordering people to make way. His Excellency the Chancellor is coming, said one of the ladies, and they all cleared away their scattered belongings. I retired to the back of the room, but despite my modesty, I was curious to see the great man in person, and I peeped through a crack at the bottom of the curtain of state where I was sitting. It turned out that it was not Michitaka but his son, Korechika, the major counselor. The purple of his court cloak and trousers looked magnificent against the white snow. I should not have come, he said, standing next to one of the pillars, because both yesterday and today are days of abstinence. But it has been snowing so hard that I felt bound to call and find out whether all was well with you. How did you manage, said Her Majesty? I thought that all the paths were buried. Well replied Korichika, it occurred to me that I might move your heart. Could anything surpass this conversation between the empress and her brother? This was the sort of exchange that is so eloquently described in romances, and the empress herself arrayed in a white dress, a robe of white Chinese damask, and two more layers of scarlet damask over which her hair hung down loosely at the back, had a beauty that I had seen in paintings, but never in real life. It was all like a dream. Korechika joked with the ladies-in-waiting, and they replied without the slightest embarrassment, freely arguing with him and contradicting his remarks when they disagreed. I was absolutely dazzled by it and found myself blushing without any particular reason. Korechika ate a few fruits— "'and told one of the servants to offer some to the empress. "'He must have asked who was behind the curtain of state, "'and one of the ladies must have told them it was I, "'for he stood up and walked to the back of the room. "'At first I thought he was leaving, "'but instead he came and sat very close to me. "'He began to talk about various things he had heard about me "'before I came into waiting, and asked whether they were true.' I had been embarrassed enough when I had been looking at him from a distance with the curtain of state between us. Now that we were actually facing each other, I felt extremely stupid, and could hardly believe that this was really happening to me. In the past, when I had gone to watch imperial processions and the like, Korechika had sometimes glanced in the direction of my carriage but I had always pulled the inner blinds close together and hidden my face behind a fan for fear that he might see my silhouette through the blinds. I wondered how I could ever have chosen to embark on a career for which I was so ill-suited by nature. What on earth should I say to him? I was bathed in sweat and altogether in a terrible state. To make matters worse, Korichika now sees the fan behind which I had prudently hidden myself and I realized that my hair must be scattered all over my forehead in a terrible mess. No doubt everything about my appearance bespoke the embarrassment I felt at that moment. I had hoped Korechiko would leave quickly, but he showed no sign of doing so. Instead, he sat there toying with my fan and asking who had done the paintings on it. I kept my head lowered and pressed the sleeve of my Chinese jacket to my face. So tightly, indeed, that bits of powder must have stuck to it, making my complexion all mottled. The empress, who no doubt realized how desperately I wanted Kori to leave, turned to him and said, Look at this notebook. Whose writing do you suppose it is? I was relieved to think that now he would finally go, but instead he asked her to have the book brought to him so that he could examine it. Really, she said. You can perfectly well come here yourself and have a look. No, I can't, he replied. Shonagon has got hold of me and won't let go. It was a very fashionable sort of joke, but hardly suited to my rank or age, and I felt terribly ill at ease. Her Majesty held up the book in which something had been written in a cursive script and looked at it. Well, indeed, said Korychika, whose can it be? Let's show it to Shonagon. I am sure she can recognize the handwriting of anyone in the world. The aim of all these absurd remarks, of course, was to draw me out. As if a single gentleman were not enough to embarrass me, another one now arrived, preceded by outrunners who cleared the way for him. This gentleman, too, was wearing a court cloak, and he looked even more splendid than Korichika he sat down and started telling some amusing stories, which delighted the ladies-in-waiting. Oh, yes, they said, laughing. We saw Lord so-and-so when he was As I heard them mention the names of one senior courtier after another, I felt they must be talking about spirits or heavenly beings who had descended to earth. Yet after some time had passed, and I had grown accustomed to court service, I realized there had been nothing very impressive about their conversation. No doubt these same ladies, who talked so casually to Lord Korechika, had been just as embarrassed as I when first they came into waiting, but had little by little become used to court society until their shyness had naturally disappeared. The Empress spoke to me for a while and then asked, Are you really fond of me? But your majesty, I replied, how could I possibly not be fond of you? Just then someone sneezed loudly in the table room. Oh dear, said the empress, so you're telling a lie. Well, so be it. And she retired into the back of the room. To think that her majesty believed I was lying. If I had said that I was fairly fond of her, that would have been untrue. The real liar, I thought, was the sneezer's nose. Who could have done such a terrible thing? I dislike sneezes at the best of times, and whenever I feel myself sneezing, I deliberately smother it. All the more hateful was it that someone should have sneezed at this moment. But I was still far too inexperienced to say anything that might have repaired the damage since the day was dawning, I retired to my room. As soon as I arrived, a servant brought me an elegant-looking letter written on fine, smooth paper of light green. "'This is what Her Majesty feels,' I read. "'How, if there were no god Tadasu in the sky, and none to judge what is truth and what a lie, how should I know which words were falsely said?' My emotions were a jumble of delight and dismay, and once again I wished I could find out who had sneezed on the previous night. Please give Her Majesty the following reply, I said, and help me to make up the harm that has been done. A simple sneeze might give the lie to one whose love is small, but sad indeed that she who truly loves should suffer from so slight a thing. The curse of God, Shiki, is, of course, very terrible. Even after I had sent my reply, I still felt most unhappy and wondered why someone should have had to sneeze at such an inopportune moment. 117. People who look pleased with themselves. A man who sneezes before anyone else on the morning of New Year's Day. A man who has obtained an appointment as Chamberlain for his dear son at a time when the competition is very keen. A man who has received the governorship of one of the first-class provinces that is being offered in the current period of official appointments. What a splendid appointment, people say and congratulate him warmly, to which he smugly replies, how so? I've been ruined. A young man who has been chosen out of several candidates to be adopted as son-in-law an exorcist who has succeeded in bringing a very stubborn spirit under control. A player in a game of hidden rhymes who quickly discovers the concealed character. During a small bow contest, one of the archers coughs. The man who is about to shoot is distracted by the sound and becomes nervous, but he manages to control himself and his arrow shoots off with a loud twang, hitting the target. How pleased he looks with himself. In a game of Go, a greedy player switches his attention to a different part of the board, not quite realizing what a large number of stones he is likely to capture there. His opponent is unable to keep his eyes in the new sector, and the greedy player manages to win several stones. Oh, how pleased he looks. He laughs proudly, feeling happier about this windfall than he would about an ordinary gain. At long last, a man has received the governorship for which he has been waiting. He looks radiantly happy. In the past, everyone treated him with rudeness and disdain. But, painful as it was, he bore it all patiently, realizing he had no choice. Now even his superiors respect the man and play up to him with remarks like, "'I am entirely at your excellency's service.'" He is attended by women and surrounded by elegant furnishings and clothing that he has never known before. Seeing all this, one wonders whether he can really be the same man whom even simple servants used to scorn. Then this fortunate governor is appointed middle captain in the inner palace guards. Oh, what a triumphant look he has on his face. To be a captain of the guards seems far grander to him than it would to a young nobleman who received the same appointment. High office is, after all, a most splendid thing. A man who holds the fifth rank, or who serves as gentleman-in-waiting, is liable to be despised. But when the same man becomes a major counselor, great minister, or the like, one is overawed by him, and feels that nothing in the world could be as impressive. Of course, even a provincial governor has a position that should impress one, for after serving in several provinces, he may be appointed senior assistant governor-general and promoted to the fourth rank, and when this happens, the high court nobles themselves appear to regard him with respect. After all, women really have the worst time of it. There are, to be sure, cases where the nurse of an emperor is appointed assistant-attendant given the third rank and thus acquires great dignity yet it does her little good since she is already an old woman besides how many women ever attain such honors those who are reasonably well-born consider themselves lucky if they can marry a governor go down to the provinces of course it does sometimes happen that the daughter of a commoner becomes the principal consort of a high court noble and that the daughter of a high court noble becomes an empress Yet even this is not as splendid as when a man rises by means of promotions. How pleased such a man looks with himself! Who pays any attention to a palace chaplain when he walks by? Though he may recite the scriptures in a most impressive manner, and may even be quite good-looking, women despise a low-ranking priest, which is very sad for him. Yet when this same man becomes a bishop or archbishop, people are overwhelmed with awe and respect, and everyone is convinced that the Buddha himself has appeared among them. So thank you guys for joining me for Books at Bedtime today. You can find me on Twitter at nonmodernist, and you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com nonmodernist. I hope you have a lovely evening, and I'll talk to you next time.